Welcome back to the Obliquity Podcast. This is your host, Paul. And uh, today is podcast number six, and the date is March the 30th, 2021. We are, um, I want, before we get started with our show today, I wanted to uh, share with you that we have a new uh, email. And uh, if you have comments or suggestions or questions, um, or, um, you know, just anything that's on your mind, really, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And our email is obliquity91 at gmail.com. That's O-B-L-I-Q-U-I-T-Y 91 at gmail.com. And um, if you happen to have Flipbook, uh, that's a on, uh, an app that has uh, news headlines from around the country and uh, even around the world, you can, uh, I've started a magazine there called the Obliquity Magazine, and those are articles uh, that I flip into that book, into that magazine, will be related to the most recent podcast. And so uh, today's, uh, today's uh, topic is not going to necessarily have anything in there, but um, if I can find some articles or in the weeks between, sometimes it'll, the magazine will have articles from the past uh, episode, but then also on the, for the upcoming episode that we can refer to. So without much further ado, um, we'll get started here in just a minute, but I also wanted to give you guys a, uh, let you guys know that today is a debut of the, ep- of the uh, segment that I'm calling Delayed Response, and this is where I'll review a book or something. Uh, it could be a book, it could be a movie, it could be know a podcast but not necessarily a current one something from the past and uh, that's why it's called a delayed response Uh, sometimes history uh, and time gives us a little bit better perspective upon what uh, about what was good what wasn't so good and um, and we'll have a better idea of that so join me uh, today in our set in our uh, in our uh, in our podcast here where we'll be talking about is the world getting better All right, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about the question, trying to answer that question, is the world getting better? One of the um, things that you often hear about, especially with the United Nations uh, Millennium Goals and reading about those types of things, I mean, they have so many uh, Millennium Goals and sometimes they're hard to define even because you're dealing with a lot of you're a lot of groups, you're dealing with a lot of countries, a lot of ideas, a lot of interest groups, a lot of uh, researchers. I mean, you're dealing with so many different facets, it's hard to nail down a goal. Not only that, to nail down even the how to accomplish, to go about accomplishing the goal. Because you don't want to step on people's toes, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, you don't want to offend people and so forth. And this makes it difficult sometimes uh, to get things accomplished, especially internationally. Now, when we also look about, it, you know, you hear statistics like, oh, uh, you know, let's pick a country, let's Madagascar, <clears throat> where, you know, 70% or 95% or 90% or 80%, whatever the number is, of the people live on less than $2 a day, okay? And although that might be the case, and that is true, 
one of the things we have to realize is that around the world, you know, that isn't necessarily the case. And, um, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, people have a lot of ideas, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, global warming or, you know, you, you name anything out there, you know, the disparity, the gender wage gap or other, other issues. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't issues there. What I'm saying is those issues aren't necessarily always as bad as they could be or as bad as people would like to make them. Now, one of the, that's a, a big, a big thing that I think we need to remember as well is that journalism doesn't isn't always giving us the best the best uh face of what's going on in the world you know back in what was the late uh mid to early 20th century there was a uh, yellow journalism you know it was very sensational it was sensational but it was designed with an almost an agenda and bait uh agenda uh at the root of it um but you know as we look at the world you know we can be you know we can get incredibly uh fearful about how bad things are and by bad and I put air quotes on that um how bad it is because um you know especially in the early part of the here of the 21st century we're uh, you know seeing a lot more what we think is a lot more problems but in reality those problems already existed many of them and not and then they're not necessarily any worse now than they were in the past well, how do we know that? And there's no really no, there's not tons of good ways to know that, but we'll get into one way that we can kind of look at things a little bit differently. But I wanted to talk about uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's speech when, uh, after the December 7th, 1941 attack of the uh, of Pearl Harbor, in his speech, he said that, uh, you know, the biggest thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, fear is going to either is, is going to keep us from accomplishing a lot. Uh, it's not so much that the task at hand is necessarily big; it's the fear of can we accomplish that, and if we allow ourselves to be uh, to be to be uh, absorbed and consumed by absorbed uh, into this uh, idea of fear or consumed by it, we're going to have a lot of problems. We're going to continue to have a lot of problems. And um, and so today, what I wanted to look at is uh, this question: Is is the world getting getting better? Um, a few years ago, I came across a YouTube uh, a TED talk by a guy by the name of Hans Rowling, and um, he's he's passed away since then. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. But one of the things that he uh, would talk about is using statistics. Now he was a medical doctor in uh, I believe it was Norway, and um, he would. Uh, he was able to stay home with his children for a few years while um, after after they were born um, to help take care of them. Um, at first, his wife did, and then you know they switched, and so he was able to get his job uh, allowed him to do that. But he wanted to keep busy, and uh, one of the things he did is he uh, he he began looking at statistics. And one of the things he's done is uh, they him and his son have started an organization called Gapminder, and uh, you can find it online at Gapminder. Dot org that's g a p m i n d e r now <clears throat> there's a little quiz you can take on gapminder that will uh, ask you about these uh, different uh, situations and you know one of the things i'm going to pull up here i'm going to take the quiz kind of talk about some of the things uh, that it uh, it's uh, dealing with there but one of the things it talks about it it asks the question what share of the population in high uh, in high income countries uh, like 
Germany and the U.S., live in extreme poverty with less than $2 a day. Now, I want you to kind of figure out what, you know, think, think in your mind, kind of put a number up there, uh, as long as you haven't watched, looked at the, the, the quiz. And then there are three options that he gives on this quiz, and it's uh, less than 1%, around 11%, or around 21%. And depending on the country, you know, you could think, hmm, well, we could, oh, maybe it's this percent because we see a lot of poverty or we, uh, whatnot. But um, according to this particular one, the right answer is less than 1%. Now, who would have thought that less than 1% of the people in countries like Germany or the United States live on less than, on, uh, there are less than 1% to live on $2 a day or less. Now, the reality is, it's what the case is. And if you answer some of the other ones, you know, it said something like 77% of the people, according to Gapminder, according to the research that they've done, 70% of, uh, 77% of people who answer that question answer it wrong. And that's pretty astonishing. It's pretty astonishing that, you know, people, and I would consider reasonably intelligent people who, who are answering these things. Why? And it's probably because of the media portrayal of, the issues like poverty. Now, it doesn't mean that poverty isn't a real problem. It is definitely a real problem, needs to be addressed, and we need to continue to pursue that. But it's not as bad as everybody thinks. Uh, and I remember hearing a statistic uh, recently um, by a couple of uh, professors that were talking, and, um, and they mentioned that, you know, every day so many thousand people are, 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 are emerging, are rising out of abject poverty. Uh, Matt Ridley is one of the guys that was uh, was talking, and uh, he was a he was a Parliament member in the UK. I, I don't know if he still is. He's written several books, but that is a fascinating thing. That's a fascinating thing to realize that people are coming out of poverty every day. But yet, if you listen to the news media, the news media is going to portray it as if uh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and uh, people are going going into poverty right and left. Now, I will say, you know, with the current pandemic, there's a lot of issues. Uh, and that's it's causing a lot of problems, and I know people are going to try to throw money at it, but you know ultimately you can't just throw money at these kinds of problems. You have to figure out other ways to solve them because you know realistically, um, those issues aren't going to be solved just by money. Um, you know this is one of the reasons why I've uh, personally, you know, and I know this is going to rub people the wrong way. I've uh, I've personally, um, you know, uh, I'm not a big fan of just government handouts. Not a good idea, um, because what it does is it uh, it puts us more in debt, and that debt has got to be paid back someday. I mean, we're gonna you're, you're, at some point you're gonna have to pay the piper, and so we've got to be careful about this. But when you look at this uh, gapminder into uh, stuff, um, you can find out more uh, of the uh, questions, and we're gonna look at a few of the questions. This one is dealing with um, what share of the world's population don't have enough food to meet their daily needs. Now think about that for a second. What share of the world's population? Is it around 11%? Uh, is it around 23%? Or is it around uh, 37%? You know, I answered this one uh, earlier uh, at 37%, and it's wrong. Uh, it's, uh, the right answer is around 11%. Um, and it, it told me, it said, you were wrong, just like 79% of the people. 79% of the people believe that 37% uh, of the world's population can't afford to feed, can't, uh, aren't able to feed themselves. 
And, um, you know, their answer on Gapminder here, which I think is fascinating, it says, the world would be terrible if you were right. Oh, man, it would be a horrible place. I mean, that's, you know, 37%, that's, you know, uh, you know, that's approaching, not quite, but it's approaching. It's more than two-thirds, uh, two-thirds, or I'm sorry, more than one-third of the Earth's population. And it's not, it's not quite, but it's about, uh, it's close to, closer to uh, a half, um, although it's closer to two-thirds or one-third than it is to the half mark. But it says, in most people's heads, there are more hungry mouths than there are in reality. Before the pandemic, 9% were hungry worldwide, which was, of course, too many. Now it's 11%, but you thought the problem was three times bigger. So it, the problem has gotten bigger since the pandemic started, but it is not nearly as big as what people would like to, people would think. And quite honestly, it's not nearly as big as what, how the media portrays. And I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bash the media here because one of the things that we have to, we have to get a hold of is we have to get a hold of this idea that uh, the media uh, journalism needs to be honest and genuine journalism, not sensational journalism. Sure. Uh, journalism will, um, journalism, uh, you know, media outlets are trying to, you know, survive, you know, a few years ago, uh, within the past 20 years, at least, you know, a lot of things have gone online. And so the traditional print media have struggled uh, to pivot and to, uh, to get this uh, because they have to also find um, new online markets. And uh, it's a struggle, no doubt. But um, that's something we need to do. So I want to do one more question here that they have for us. It says, in low-income countries across the world, what share of girls went to school until at least age 11 before the pandemic? And, um, you know, I, I originally answered 20% on that one. Um, but the answer is around 60%. Uh, it said, uh, I think the the wrong answer said about 100 years ago, uh, that would have been the case. It would have only been about 20%. It says, but 86% uh, of the people who answer this question answer it wrong. And it's popular to believe that very few girls in poor countries get basic education. They probably can't imagine that anything improves in the poorest countries. And so, you know, I just want to use that, and I would encourage you to go to their website. It's a fascinating website, different information, good good resource for teachers uh, to be able to get some good information as far as what the data actually says. Now, I will say, you know, give a I will give a warning here that statistics can be manipulated to prove anything you want. Now, that's absolutely, you know, we've seen that over and over. We've seen it in the current pandemic crisis. We've seen it in other situations. Um Situations, statistics, statistics, sorry, statistics can be mani manipulated, even manufactured. Uh, and if you don't report something, uh, how can you measure it? And uh, and that's one of the big, th uh, you know, big takeaway that we need to remember as well is um, statistics can go either way. And so, you know, you have to give a little bit of faith to these people. And, you know, this Gapminder organization, they don't have any interest in uh you know, from the best I can see, they are non, they are nonpartisan. They're, you know, try to be as objective as possible and try to give their data. Uh, Ola Ro, uh, Rosling, uh, which is Hans Rosling's son, he opened up the recent um, UN summit. Uh, let's see here. It says the UN's SDG moments uh, 2020. He opened that up. And, um, you know, there's some, some great information in this uh, website. But I also wanted to point to two other websites that I think will be uh, helpful. 
Uh, one of them is called World Data. World Data and um, dot, uh, info. World Data dot info. And you can go and you can find a lot of good information on this site as well by country. You can talk about, um, you know, you can find, uh, you know, largest countries, mega cities, uh, information about average body height, uh, religions of the world, languages worldwide. So if you're looking for some basic information on some of these things, uh, there's on natural disasters and uh, there's economies, average incomes. Uh, the cost of living and everything, and it gives you some running totals at the bottom of, you know, random things to me. Uh, homicides in Mexico in 2021, exports uh, from the UK uh, in US dollars um, in, 20, in 2021. It's like, uh, let's see, that million bill, 217 billion. So, um, you know, that's pretty good. The number of smokers in the United States uh, is kind of a set at 94 million. 835,491. So there's some good information there. Um, and they have articles. And, okay, I'm going to look here in population density and um, see what we can get. Uh, let's see here. It says that, um, so the population, the number one ranked country for population density uh, is Macau, which has a, uh, a population per kilometer squared is 21,067. The next is Monaco. And uh, so Monaco has two square kilometers. It's got, uh, you know, 19,289 uh, people per uh, per square kilometer. So you just double that and that's the population. Um, and see here, it's uh, 30, you know, like 0.6 million uh, in, you know, so 600,000 in Macau and um, in the hundreds of thousands or you know 40,000 less than 40,000 in Monaco uh, and then after that we jump all the way down to Singapore which has 7,932 uh, people per square kilometer um, and then you can see that you know you can continue to scroll down I don't even know where the United States falls into here uh, the last country the least populous country per square kilometer is Australia which is 3.3 people per square kilometers. United States, United States is 64th uh, with 33 people per um, square kilometer. So you can get some general data, general information, which is helpful. Uh, also, you can be able to compare those statistics as well. But um, there's a third website, which is called Our World in Data. And it's just one world, all, all lower caps, Our World in Data. Now, this one is a little bit more extensive. It actually has articles and you have uh, professionals who are using, there's a number of uh, trusted research and media outlets. Uh, it's used in teaching at Harvard, Stanford, Berkeley, University of Cambridge, and so forth. So this is, you know, I would consider this an academically reputable site, reputable, reputable site. Um, although, you know, just like anything, you've got to use your own brain. Um, you've got to use your own brain for a variety of things. Um, and there's a lot of good information on here, on here as well. It talks about uh, causes of death. It says 56 million people die every year. So we can go in and break down what uh, the cause of death is for each of these uh, for, on this list. Um, and there's charts and there's, you know, statistics and uh, just some really cool information and stuff that you'll be able to use uh, for your own personal benefit to verify what media outlets are saying. Come to your own conclusions. And, um, you know, one of the things I've said in the past for uh, 
in relation to some other things, but is that truth demands scholarship. You know, we have to, if we're interested in the truth, it's going to take some digging. It's going to take effort to, um, to verify what's being said. Are we more interested in truth or are we interested in agenda? You know, we can, we can take that statement. We can, we can rephrase it in many of ways. Uh, you know, if we're into, are, are we interested in truth or are we interested in a political ideology? Are we interested in truth or are we interested in, um, you know, uh, our own interests? Um, because, you know, to me, truth is more important. Um, and I know that comes to a philosophical concept, um, but truth is really a way, a whole lot more important. You know, when you're dealing with people, you need to deal truthfully. Um, that's how we live our lives. If we don't deal truthfully, then we are constantly suspect. We're constantly not uh, uh, untrustworthy. You know, you think of the the whole um, the whole uh, uh, children's story about um, you know, think of a children's story about the uh, boy who cried wolf. You know, uh, he wasn't being truthful, and then when it mattered, he was not trustworthy to be considered as one who was telling the truth. And so we have to be careful about how we frame our, um, our, our opinions, make sure we have it subdacked on solid data, and then even still, the data could be wrong. And so that's why it takes human, uh, human uh, understanding about a variety of things. And uh, look, I, can't, I can only make certain assessments on what I want to do, per, uh, what I can do uh, personally uh, based off the information that I have. And it could be wrong, but that's my own responsibility to verify that what I believe is based accurately on good, solid data. All right. Well, this is our debut of our segment that we're going to call Delayed Response. And today I'm going to review a book. And, uh, you know, honestly, this book has been in my library for about 17, 18 years, eh, a little bit longer, actually, about 20 years. And um, it is called The Decline and Fall of Practically Everybody by the author Will Cuppy. Now, Will Cuppy is an interesting guy. He uh, very meticulous in his work, and maybe one of the days I will go through uh, how he would uh, how he would write and so forth. He was a he was a writer for a magazine, uh, the, I think somewhere in New York, uh, the New Yorker or something like that. But um, he uh, he wrote this book, and there was one other one book that he wrote that I really. It was funny, but it wasn't as funny as this first one. Now, you got to realize also that this book was written in the early 20th century. So there are probably some things in here. It was, uh, the copyright date is 1950. Uh, this, particular, uh, this particular edition is uh, 1992. Um, but some of the things in it, on the front of the book, it says, Great Figures of History Hilariously Humbled. And, uh, and he, he, he talks about um, some, of the, uh, some of the people. And I'm going to read bits and pieces of it, and then I'm going to read some footnotes because a lot of times the funny parts are really in the footnotes. He says, talking about the the, the Carthaginian general uh, Hannibal, he said, Rome and Carthage were the most important cities in the world around 3, 000, uh, 300 B.C. Rome was where it always was, and Carthage was on the northern coast of Africa. They had been neighbors for years without a, having a good fight, so it was only a question of time. They were spoiling for the first, second, and third Punic Wars. 
Rome was founded in 753 BC by Romulus, a baby who was sucked by who was suckled by a she-wolf and guarded by a black woodpecker. Carthage was founded about 100 years earlier by Alicia, daughter of Mutton I, king of Tyre. Later on, she was identified with Dido, the lady who was, fo- who so, fo- uh, who was so fond of Aeneas. Uh, An- it's a strange world we live in. Um, and when you drop down, and I'm trying to see, oh, there it is. And then the Romans and Carthaginians were very different in character and temperament. The Carthaginians had no ideals. All they wanted was money helling around and having a big time. The Romans were stern and dignified, living hard, frugal lives and adhering to the traditional Latin virtues, gravitas, pietas, simplicitas, and adultery. <laughs> Carthage was governed by its rich men and were therefore plur- uh, uh, a plutocracy. Rome was also governed by its rich men and was therefore a republic. So uh, he, he pokes fun at things. And I mean, if you're a student of history, uh, you'll find some things rather funny in there. I remember reading this in my late 20s. I'm sorry, in my early 20s, um, maybe even in my late teens. And uh, my brother and I would sit around reading this. And it was, I mean, it took us like two days to read it. Uh, we would sit down. I would read out loud to him. He would read out loud to me. It was, we were dying laughing this whole entire, I mean, to tears uh, because of how funny things are. Now, if, if you're not much of a student of history, um, it's a fun way to learn history. Um, if you are a student of history, uh, some of his comments you know, they, uh, they'll be, uh, rather hilarious and, uh, kind of enlightening about, uh, even the time he was living in, but also in the, uh, the period of history that he's talking about. So, um, I don't know what else to say about it today. Uh, I just wanted to get this edition out, uh, this, uh, segment out and, uh, hopefully, uh, you guys have enjoyed that. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, comments, or suggestions, uh, again, our um, e- our email address is obliquity91 at gmail.com. And if you listen to our trailer uh, that I just made a few days ago, um, our email is there, obliquity91, and if you get the spelling. But um, any comments, suggestions, or uh, or, uh, or 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 you know, things that you wanted that you think would be topics that would be of interest to you that uh, I'll do the best I can to, uh, to talk about. And then also don't forget our, uh, Flipbook magazine, Obliquity magazine on the Flipbook app. And so if you're inclined there, you can make comments as well, uh, or, uh, send me, um, send me, uh, interesting articles on topics that, uh, you'd like to have talked about already until next time, have a good time.